0: Good morning. Good morning. Let there be light. <laughs> My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. I welcome you to our services today. Um, a couple of things. We'll be praying here in a second. We'll be starting a new uh, series. So let me catch you up on a, on a few different things. Um, the new series that we're in is called R4, and it's about uh, a couple of different things. It's about rest and recharging resetting and reigniting and then the series after that is called at the movies and so you can grab one of these out on that pallet wall out there be thinking about and praying about who to invite to at the movies we'll be doing that in September so there's all kinds of people in this room let's talk about what's underneath a little bit so some people in this room have been on a god vacation for an extended period of time And it's important for you to know after the extended vacation from God that about the only thing that God wants to say to you is, Welcome home. Exactly. Welcome back. And so keep that in your mind because I'm sure your mind is going to go all kinds of different ways this morning. Uh, some people don't believe in God at all. So they're here and they're trying to figure that out. I was in those shoes at one point in time. wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so you're going to learn a little bit about God today, but you're trying to figure it out. Just kind of open up your heart, open up your mind, kind of experience things, be open to the experience of things. And for the rest of us, we're, we're Christians, okay? Um, which means that we're following the way of Jesus. But I do need to tell you um, what we're going to talk about today, I, I've gotten wrong my whole life. Um, which isn't fun to preach like that. What you want to do is you want to conquer something and then get up on stage and go, I got this thing down. Um, so I'm very, I'm very humbled by what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and you might be as well. It's not as bad as it makes it sound that the person... <laughs> person from the previous service. (laughs) So uh, let me, let me, let me pray. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And Father, we know that um, for those of us that have been away from you for a while, that you embrace us with open arms. And you forgive us seven times 70 times 70. And Father God, for those of us that, um, that are kind of trying to be locked and loaded Christ followers. Um, There are some things that we realize we've neglected and we have to make an adjustment. And we ask, Father, that you'd be patient and you'd teach us and hold our hand as we try to make adjustments. And, God, there's people in this room that, that don't know you at all. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would introduce a little bit about who you are. Teach us, lead us, guide us, and direct us. We pray all these things in your name, Christ. Amen. So in Genesis 2-3, it says this. Now this is the beginning of basically your Bible, okay? And so what's going on is God's kind of laying down some of the big things. This is what's going on. This is who I am. This is who you are. That's what's going on in Genesis 2-3. It says this. It says, Then God blessed the seventh day. He had created for six days. came to the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now if you're like me and you weren't raised in a Christian home, you know, you've know you got all these gods, all these religions that you might pick through and, and there's different descriptions of different things. But I, I enter into Christianity and this is one of the things that you read relatively early on because you start in Genesis and then quit in Leviticus. But you, <laughs> you, you can get a bite in the beginning. And so I'm reading and I'm like, Okay, that's interesting. Here's this God who is very busy saying things and very busy doing things. And then one day, he stops all the talking. And he stops all the doing. And he disengages. And notice a few other things. Not just about him, but about what he says about this time slot. It says that he blessed it and he sanctified it. Well, to to bless something is to basically, usually you're blessing a person, and when you bless a person, you're basically giving them some sort of gift, okay? But when you're blessing a thing, it's that you're saying that that thing is supposed to be a blessing. More than that, when he says that he sanctified it, sanctified just is this fancy schmancy word that basically says, I've taken this thing, this object, this whatever, and I have intentionally placed it for a very specific purpose. So early on in the Bible, you realize that there's there's this God who talks, who makes things, and then disengages from all of that to just be. And you'll find out more about the intention of what Sabbath is. The other thing that he does with this day is he, he basically says this day is this unique gift And that it's set apart for a very specific purpose. In my own case, the question then becomes something like this. What have I ever done with Sabbath? It says this in Deuteronomy 5.15, picking up this Sabbath thing again and explaining it a little bit more. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments movie, if you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, you know that Moses leads his people out of Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And so they're released from that, and they're going to end up in the Promised Land. But in the in-between time, they're given some instructions. And listen to this. You shall remember, speaking to those people, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. But the Lord your God... Brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, this is interesting. The Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, why? What, what's the point? Well, he's, he's telling these these slaves that are about to become landowners, he's saying to these slaves, I want you to, right now, while you're in between Egypt and the promised land, right now, I want you to understand that Sabbath day that you heard about in Genesis, that Moses explained to you what it was all about, it's a remembrance. And it has a very specific purpose. Now, I want you to think about the context of all of this. You excited? All right. I want you to think about the context of all of this. So when you're a slave, it's all about you. And let me explain that. It's all about somebody else, right? It's all about some master because you're a slave and they own you. Being a slave is, it's all about my parents' agenda or it's all about my spouse's agenda or it's all about my boss. It's all about somebody else defining me and telling me what to do and what to think and how to... And you've been set free from all of that. Because you kind of lose your identity in all of that. But here's where things get tricky. But they're going to the land. They're going to the promised land. Well, what's going to happen when they go to the promised land? Well, if they're not careful, something can go sideways. Because over here, you're a slave. And over here, you can become a sovereign. what do I mean? I mean, you can get to the land, and if before it was all about you, whoever that person is, when you get to the land, it becomes all about me. It's my land. I've been set free. It's my time. It's my stuff. It's me, 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 the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, okay? And God is basically saying In this in-between time, before you get to the promised land, and since you've come out of slavery, I want you to remember this one day because that day isn't about you, and it's not about me. That day is about us, about you and God. That that day was set apart, set aside, For you to end God's loneliness for you? Look at it this way in a chart. On the left, you are a slave and you are dominated by somebody else and you are stripped of yourself and joy for a slave is escaping. I want to get out of here. Friday, four o'clock, watching those hours tick down, right? The flip side is over here, you could become a sovereign And you can dominate everything and subsume everything to self. And what that basically means is that it's all about me. My kids? My kids are free workers and slaves. And my spouse? My spouse is supposed to make me a sandwich while I watch ESPN football all day on the Sabbath. Amen or oh Okay? But this idea of subjugating everything to self. And if for the slave, joy is escaping, for the other person, for this sovereign, joy is engorging what I want on my terms. But in the middle is something else. The illustration that God gives in the Old Testament oftentimes is that he's a father. That's one of the big descriptions. But the other big description that he wants us to get a feel for is that Israel is God's spouse, his lover. And what does that mean? It means on the us day, it's not all about just God and it's not all about just me. It's about he and I dancing. He and I enjoying one another. About my mind and my heart going up into him and his promises and his love coming down into me. It's joy in enjoying that day. And the trick question becomes something like this, what have you done with Sabbath your whole life if you're a Christian? What have you done with it so far? Me, I by and large watched football or did other things that I liked on my own terms. And do I think that I need to have a list of the way to do Sabbath? Not necessarily. In fact, what it says here in Colossians 2.16 is this. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Well, what's going on? Well, what's going on is Paul is talking to the Colossians and the Colossians have some religious freak nut jobs that ram a bunch of rules down everybody's throats. Ever seen or heard of such things at church? Okay. Okay. And so your hair needs to be this length and your skirt needs to be this length and your pants need to be this and don't listen to this kind of music and you can't drink these things and you can't eat this and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And Paul basically is stepping in and saying, you've been set free, you're free indeed. We're not under all those Old Testament obligations. People ramming them down your throats constantly is not what this is all about. Do not let them. Now, that's great. That's the stand against legalism. There's another side of the equation that we need to get to, which is balance, which is this. You also don't become a libertine. What's a libertine? A libertine just does whatever they want. I just live my whole life on my own terms. I, I can go to church. I can not go to church. I can tithe. I can not tithe. I can be in fellowship. I can not be in fellowship. Use my spiritual gifts. Now I can just do everything I want on my own terms. That's not what he set us free to. It's a balanced position between the two. And the question that I have for you today, the thing that you need to walk out of here today, because I'm really afraid this is all going to be just totally ignored today, I'll be honest with you. What you need to walk out of here today with is, what am I going to do with Sabbath? I've got to look God in the eye and go, you wrote these words. What was your plan? What what do I need to engage in? Let me take you a little bit farther in Scripture. It says this in Isaiah 58, 13. What you're going to see is you're going to notice I'm going to do two verses. One has an if and the other has a then. The if means, hey, there's going to be a description. And this description, if it happens, there's then a a consequence, a, a good thing that comes out of it. It's like a promise, but it's a conditional promise. It says this, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure... On my holy day. And you call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord, honorable, and then actually honor it. Desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. There's a lot there. I want you to notice what's going on. If, so this is the change. He's saying, hey, these are some things I want you to think about Change. If because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing. From doing what? Anything I want on my own terms. Football, sandwiches, mow the yard, kayaking, going to the mall, whatever, you pick it. Why? What's wrong with going down that path? Here's what's the, the choice of the foot. There's another path. And down the other path is a day that God set aside to be with you. It's date day for you. And he's waiting down that other pathway. Are you going to stand him up? Are you going to ghost him? Are you going to leave him hanging? Because that Sabbath thing that he described in Genesis, he made that day to be with you. In the passage, some more. Turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. And you call the Sabbath a delight. A delight. You think you've got to have the right attitude about Sabbath. If you think it's a bunch of rules. okay. Back, back in the day, I remember you, know, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays because that's going to you know, make you love Sabbath and you couldn't go to the mall till noon, and let, let, you know, let's come up with a whole bunch of rules to force people to do Sabbath by kind of cleaning out whatever we think is, 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 is a fun distraction. No, the idea is that you've got to view Sabbath in a very specific way. You've got to view it as delightful. You've got to be standing on this pathway going, I could do all of these things, and they'd be fun, but you know what? That's better. Not just better like morally or spiritually. No, no, no. I, like that's really better. Like that's delightful. That's awesome. That's incredible. Notice more in the passage. The holy day of the Lord, honor it. It's honorable and honor it. That, that You're going to say, God, I'm, I'm committed to you. This is a relational thing that you've asked me to do. And if you've asked me relationally to do this thing, I'm, I want to honor it because I want to honor you. Now, notice that people can honor it and not honor him. You could go through the motions. I mean, you can, we, we all do it sometimes on Sunday, right? We, we sing the songs and we don't mean it. We're just an autopilot. The question becomes this honorable thing to actually honor it, to actually engage it. Then it says desisting from your own ways, not insisting on your own ways. We all do that plenty, Right? But desisting from my own ways. And then notice the depths of this. Not just the from seeking your own pleasure. We've already talked about that. It says also from speaking your own word. Well, what's going on? Well, what's going on is God wants to go so deep into Sabbath with you that it's not just about where you are and what you're doing with the time. It's about what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your heart. Because he's got this day of delight planned for you. Full of worship and festivity and fun and frolicking and and all of this. But what would it mean? What would it look like to shut down my mind? To shut down my anxiety and my heart and my fears? My what What would it be like to actually pull all these things down and open myself up to loving Him. If I can get into delight mode, if I can get off of the path of my own pleasure, if I can actually shut down my mouth and insisting on my own way and enter into something else, then some things happen. It says this in Isaiah 58, 14, the next verse. Then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what is Isaiah saying to these Israelites? He's saying a couple of things. One is there's delight out there, okay? There's this really cool, delightful, dynamic thing, but it's in the Lord. Take the delight that is inside of him. He wants to give it to you, but you need to be in him and not in everything else, not in your own head and in the NFL and in whatever. You got to be in him. And it continues on. It says, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's got a couple of dynamics to it. So the ride is like a ride in a chariot. That's what the imagery is supposed to be. And and the imagery is up on the mountains. Now, a couple of things. A, the average Israelite did not have a chariot. And B, you don't take chariots out into the mountains. They, They would slide and break and fall apart. But the imagery that he's giving is, God wants to take you on a date. He's going to pick you up in his car. He's going to take you up into the mountains. Because in the mountains, what happens? In the mountains, you get to see the world from God's perspective. In the mountains is beauty and stillness, and solitude and quietude. Because in the mountains is something else. And so God basically says, i got this date day. I want to take you for a drive and then more. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. So date day, God wants to take you for a drive and he wants to buy you dinner. What's he going to feed you? The heritage of Jacob. Well, who's, who's Jacob? Well, Jacob you can basically say is the top of the pyramid of the people of Israel, the, the great patriarch. And so everything that's happened with Jacob and other followers of God, all those promises God wants to feed to you. He wants to feed you his promises of love and compassion and patience and wisdom and goodness and grace. He wants to feed you all of those. But if you drive by and don't enter into Sabbath, he can't feed you. And he can't take you to the high places. And the difficult thing for me is how many Sabbaths have I lost? I did sort of Sabbaths, little little piecemeal Sabbaths. A little bit of church, a little bit of worship music, a little bit of prayer until I get bored. I never really thought about, hey, I need to actually get to a one in seven. And why does this matter? Well, let me go back again. When, when, when God is taking the Israelites and he's taking them from Egypt and he's going to put them in the promised land, he's doing a couple of things. He explains the land that I'm about to give you, it's not your land. But I'm giving it to you rent free but it's my land. And you can stay there if you stay connected to me. And more than that, he says, you're going to make some money when you're in the land. It's a land flowing in milk and honey. And you're going to have crops and all kinds of things. But I need you to understand that everything that happens in that land, because it's really my land, I own all of that. And you can keep 90% of it, but 10% of it is mine. I own it. Don't steal it from me. And when I was a non-Christian, I'd be like, well, you know, what is this tithe stuff? What do they do with that 10%? And you find out. Basically, God says, take that 10%. I'm going I'm to receive that 10%. And then if you read the Old Testament, he's going to deposit that 10% back into the lives of the Israelites for all their feasts and festivals. It also takes care of the priests, and it takes care of benevolence. But that's what the tithe is for. But it's more than that. He's trying to teach them, you're not trusting yourself. It's not your land. It's my land, and it's not... You give back to me and trust that I'm going to take care of you. But then the really interesting thing is this. And there's no way around this reality. And I'm asking you to really think about it as of today. He says there's six days that go by. And you can do a lot of things on your own terms. But that seventh day, I own it. It's mine, not yours. And you might be annoyed or hurt by that. or, or that, you know, what? But all of a sudden then you realize that day that he says is his, he wants to spend with you. And if we let that day go by over and over again, we're wounding him and we're ripping ourselves off because he's waiting. You will take delight In the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Why does it matter that the mouth of the Lord has spoken? Just like he spoke in Genesis. He's creating something by saying these things. He's creating reality by saying these things. And we might have all kinds of liberty in the New Testament to not be under all the obligations of the Old Testament law, and that's true, but we nonetheless need to come back, circle back, and go, why did he make this, and is he waiting for me? I've got this one thing that I I read about online. I've got a hair tie. It's kind of twisted twice, and it's like two things, but it's it's one. Because this one person said "But what you do on Sabbath is you start to practice it because you're not going to get it perfect. Nobody's nobody's going to pull off the whole 24-hour thing right away. So you you put something on your wrist that reminds you you're in Sabbath mode. And when you break out of it and and you're not really in Sabbath mode, just take it off. Ask God, you know, forgive you and enter back in, put it back on. And build up some stamina, some self-discipline, some saying no to self and saying yes to God. What do Orthodox Jews do? The Sabbath. Well, about 18 minutes before the sun goes down on Friday, they begin the Sabbath. Till about 18 minutes after sundown on Saturday. They turn off most of the electrical appliances. You can leave on the fridge. It doesn't honor God to spoil your milk. But they turn things off. They'll go open all the windows as a symbol of inviting God in. Women will cut flowers and have them in each room for God. Some people will handwrite psalms or prayers to God and leave them out for Him. They open up the Word of God so that God can get a chance to be heard that day. They they celebrate, they've got cool, festival kind of like food for that 24 hours. And they enter into it as a delight. And you think about our world and how, we, how weird it, it, it is. The Romans didn't understand the Jews. Certainly the Egyptians didn't understand the Jews. The Assyrians didn't understand the Jews. What, what, are the, what, what, what are these weird people that take a day off? Because back then you just worked your seven and then another seven and then another seven. Well, they're unique people. Well, what's unique about them? Well, you know, they've got this God thing going on and they need a day off. Well, who needs a day off? I mean, you go, you sing some songs, you go to the temple, you, you know, throw a couple of bucks, and you hit the road. No, not, not for them. What do you mean not for them? Well, they're, they've got a whole day that they say they, they don't own. They say God owns it. And that God owns it for them to be loved, and to connect to him and to love him back. What? Now think about how weird it would be if in the world right now it wasn't. We have a lot of you know, kind of shadows of Christianity in our culture. But what if none of that was there? How weird would they think that we take this day and we give it to God? And more than that, why don't you start thinking about what would happen if you actually did this? What would happen if you were actually intimate with God for like this 24-hour cycle? And the weeks went by and the months went by and the years went by. How much of a different person do you think you would be? Your anxiety levels going down, your anger going down, your maturity rising up, your joy, your hope, your compassion, all of it coming into flowering. But we pass by. Jesus says this in Mark two twenty-seven. Jesus said to them, some of the religious uh, hardcores, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Well, what's going on? Well, Jesus gets yelled at a whole bunch by religious folk because that's what religious folk do, right? They find stuff that other people are doing that they think is wrong and then protest online and, you know, whatever. So they, like, basically are yelling at Jesus because he's violating the Sabbath. And what he's doing on the Sabbath, and he does it more than once. He's actually provoking something. He heals people on the Sabbath. then he addresses them because they're like, you can't be doing this stuff. And he's like, I can do this stuff because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. But more than that, you guys are hypocrites because if your cow falls into a well, you're going to go get it out. You're not going to wait for your cow to be dead and get it out the next day, right? Same thing, you know, with everybody here. You know, your kid gets into a wreck. They're driving the car, dead on blah, 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 blah. Oh, sorry, it's the Sabbath. Bleed out. Okay, you don't do that because Jesus says, look, there's something about this day that's special, but you're not insane about it. You're not a religious nut job about it. There's some practical things that you need to do, but there's also the practicality of relationship with God that you need to do. And he's answering that question. We started in Genesis. What's the Sabbath thing? Why does it matter? It matters because it was made for you. He gave you a gift. He claimed one in seven of the days of the week. And he said, this is my gift that I'm giving to you. And this gift that I'm giving you contains me. And then the trick question becomes, do we want him? And do we want him in a deep way? Amy and I, when we lived in Ohio, would go to this cabin you know, uh, w- once a year. And when we go to the cabin, we, we had a hot tub, it was great, we could grill, we did a lot of snuggling. And it was the coolest thing. And the great thing about that time is I'd be saturated with the experience of being with my wife for like a week. And it's all fun and good that I spend some time with her here and there. But when I get a whole week with her, we sing together, we read scripture together, we pray together, we hang, we're, we're more intimate, we're more connected, we're more in a way that doesn't work if we just kind of pass by and have these little momentary fragmented, and God knows this, and so he builds Sabbath to have a saturation point. If you take water and you take a teabag and you put the tea bag in and pull it right back out, nothing has happened, right? But if you put that teabag in and you let it steep, That water gets stained and saturated. And what would it be like if you took this big chunk of time and God's love was in it and his compassion and his hope and his dreams for you and his word? What would be your life? And that's what he wants for you. So here would be some suggestions to apply things. Plan Sabbath like you would a date planet open up windows light candles get flowers write God a poem go someplace in the high places maybe and experience God and however you best experience God for different people it's different things it's singing or it's creation or it's art or and you might think well you'd mentioned you know I can't just do my own pleasure I can I kayak you can kayak if it's not about you If it connects you to God, go kayak. Can I garden? If gardening connects you to the earth and it connects you to God, garden your heart away. But if you're a farmer and you're trying to get a pass on working some extra, no. What if I'm tweaking my hot rod? If you're tweaking your hot rod and you're in God's presence and there's worship music playing or whatever, tweak your hot rod. But if you're a mechanic, maybe not. It's not about what. It's about how and when. You're doing it. And whether you're getting to that deeper place that he wants. Practice shutting down. What does it mean to shut down? It's hard. It's hard for me. Okay, internet, I immediately get answers. There's no dial-up anymore. There's no, you know, just boom. What does it mean to shut down? And have it not be about my own thoughts and my own feelings. But to be about God, his thoughts. To dance with his feelings. To sing, like we did this morning, but not sing so that my spirit and heart open up, but to sing so that his does. Learning to focus. Learning gratitude. It takes time. Find what gets you focused. What are the catalysts that really work for you to connect to God? And it's different for different people. For me, wandering out in the woods works great. My wife has talked about she feels God when we do hospitality, when we have people over to the house, when we're feeding homeless people. That's when she feels God. That doesn't work for me. I get really distracted. My point is simply this, that you do what you need to do. So maybe you need to volunteer at the homeless shelter on your Sabbath. Maybe you need to bake pies for the police department. I'll find what's your catalyst to be connected to God, but then shut down the distractions. And make sure that that path that you're walking as you're trying to build this whole day for God, this path that you're walking, you're not taking the path of insisting on your own way. But you're taking a path that's headed into God's loneliness for you. His love for you. Enjoy the gift. And remember, nobody gets it perfect. That's not the, the aim today. Is not to get it perfect. The aim today is this. that don't, don't settle for, hey, I showed up at church for an hour, an hour and a half. And that, 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 that got it done. To be honest with you, you were very distracted by my poor preaching abilities and the awesome band, okay? What about just you and God one-on-one? Going to that deeper place. God has a lot for you. But you're going to you're gonna have to go there to get it. Let us pray. Father God, you speak in your word of longing for us. You speak in your word of having set aside a day as a gift for us, and that within the gift is yourself. And God, I can only speak for myself. But Father, we're very, very busy with our own lives and our own thoughts, our own pleasures. We don't think about you much. Would you help us to be a good spouse to you? A good friend to you? Would you teach us what it means to set aside time to honor you and delight in being with you? As a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Help us, Father, to build a palace in time to enjoy you. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen.